you step onto a bus and see that the woman in front of you has shoulder-length bleach blonde hair and a red hairband holding it into a ponytail. Nothing weird there. But then you notice the two women in each next seat forward is the same size woman with the same hair, the same color hairband, even the same color shirts peeking over the top of the seat backs. You chuckle, glitch in the matrix, you say, and brush it off, fondly remembering that 1999 movie and moving on with your life. But what if that movie was created specifically to make you laugh off the idea as silly by those outside of the Matrix? Today, we're examining the effect the Matrix series had on society, the growing scientific idea that us being in a simulation is not only possible, but likely, and how the simulation theory could actually be creationism in disguise. Are you ready? It's time to wake up. It's a new day. Yes, it is. We're gonna get you guys circulating on Christian radio. I understand young people. I know what's hip. I know what's on. I know what's lit. I know what's fleet. What's up, my nerds? Nerds! I work with a bunch of nerds. I'm a nerd. And, uh... I'm pretty proud of it. Rise and shine, nerds. Welcome to the Back Row Morning Show, the part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network and the official exclusive morning show for LTN Radio. I'm Radio Matt, the station manager and chief radio nerd. I'm 18 years saved, 16 years married, 11 years recovered, 7 years a father, and 36 years a nerd. And I'm Mo. A lot of things wrapped up in one small but loud package. Your very own casserole of a co-host doing my best to bring the best, but one thing I'm not is good at math. The Back Row Morning Show covers a wide range of topics from all across church and pop culture, and we usually take it in threes, three segments focusing on different aspects of our discussion. You're listening to our weekly compilation of the main topic segments from this past week's set of morning shows. This week, we're talking all about simulation theory. But before we jump into our discussion, we got a quick update on Sunday School Answers. Sunday School Answers, the Jabroni deck is now is out now. Sorry. Uh, it's a collab with two words for 50 new cards inspired by professional wrestling, WWE, AEW, WCW, etc. Also, Sunday School Answers, the Back Row Baptist deck is out as of last Friday. 50 new cards inspired by the tweets of Back Row Baptist about Baptist church culture. Finally, we also have released our first widely available booster pack, which is what many of our new releases will be moving forward. The 90s pack, 18 new cards inspired by the last great decade. Find it all on backrowgames.com. A few weeks ago, we got our first glimpse at the fourth installment of The Matrix on its way for Christmas time. It's bringing back lots of memories of when that movie first came out and changed pop culture and movies as we know it. Uh, so we're going to look at an article to start off with from Vulture. You're right over there. <laughs> I was laughing because this is about the seventh time I've had to do a take of this intro because I keep mispronouncing words. You did good. I'm proud of you. Well, good thank job. Thank you. I made it. <laughs> Now the pressure's off. Got through that first sentence and I'm good. Now if I screw up, it's just going to be in the show. <laughs> this is canon now. This is happening. Uh, so the Matrix was first shot. Uh, well, not shot, but I guess first aired in 1999. And that was the year that brought us being John Malkovich and Magnolia, The Sixth Sense, and Office Space, Fight Club, The Bear, Blair Witch Project. All iconic movies. Um, 
But the Matrix did something different because it actually took a, a kind of little known theory at the time and put it into a relatable story of how a world could be a simulated environment. Now, in 2019, it kind of feels like we're living in the Matrix. Many aspects of our world seem surreal, especially those early days of COVID. When things were really starting to settle in and we're like, oh gosh, the world really is closing down. We can't get food. We don't know if we can, like, we can spread this thing without even knowing that we have it. Like, everybody's living in constant fear and panic. We're thinking that anybody who catches it is 90% likely to die. Like, in those first couple months where everyone was just in pure panic mode, this who didn't have a moment where, like, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. It's like that YouTube video of that kid coming back from the dentist. He's all high on the, the anesthesia. Which He's one? So. It's this real life. <laughs> like, that's what it feels like sometimes. Is this really? I mean, are we really doing this right now? Like, I get that feeling sometimes. Or, I mean, not so and much. I, oh. oh, stop it right there. I did. I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had it a lot earlier when uh, I would see everybody walking around in masks. You know, I'm like, this is just so weird. Yeah. This is so surreal. After 35 years up to that point of that never being the case, suddenly everywhere I go, everybody's wearing a mask by force. Everyone has to wear a mask. It's so strange. Everywhere I go, every smile I don't see. (laughs) So now, you know, we we just like to say things like we're living in the Matrix. Uh Uh, And that may be the truest and deepest influence of a movie whose high-flown paranoia has insinuated itself into the way we live Mm now. Uh, But in an era where, (laughs) I mean, this is is also... (laughs) This is also true. This is what the article is talking about. It's talking about the president, President Donald Trump. That also he just brought up seem... a whole. Yeah, it brought up a whole like this. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we went. We started the whole fake news thing. Yeah. During the Trump presidency. And now we're like, well, is everybody lying to us? Do they know they're lying to us? Are they coordinating lying to us? And we're like, oh, well, yeah, sometimes, yeah, it seems like that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> and it makes us really start to question everything that we're hearing, everything that's going on. Are we living in a simulation? Are we living in a broken simulation? So the Matrix is really omnipresent because that's what we think about. Even in the the movement, um, kind of, I guess it was kind of like a far left movement. I know they use this term a lot with the QAnon culture uh-huh. of red pilling. Like that comes from the Matrix, taking the red pill and seeing what's really happening behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, these these are becoming such common concepts uh, over the years. And it's been, you know, 20, 22 years since that movie came out. <laughs> so in the movie, let me remind you, the original Matrix, it's not really a complicated movie. A low key computer hacker played by Keanu Reeves's Neo is a drudge like so many late 90s protagonists. He's pulled into a pre-hashtag resistance that he didn't know existed against a system he didn't know enslaved him. The rebels offer him enlightenment, but at a brutal price. He has to lose all delusion and realize he is literally part of an immense systematic machine doing the bidding of, uh, well, the man. 
the establishment, corporate overlords, the government, the system, uh, and only by knowing can he hope to be rescued from it. The plot is pretty basic, and the politics are alluringly, dangerously viable for anyone of any ideology who feels ticked off. Few arguments have found themselves more adaptable to this moment than you're getting screwed by a world you didn't invent and can't see. But the good news is, is that the cure is just willing yourself to see it. So, I mean, you can see that mentality taking root these days on a more widespread system. Uh, so this is actually a nod to Plato's allegory of the cave and to French critical thinking, the hours upon hours of dauntingly labeled philosophers' commentaries that adorn the Blu-rays. Uh, the original movie itself is, in some ways, as plain as the green cursor blinking on the black screen that quaintly begins it. But in memory, the premise of the uh, the Wachowski's breakthrough film was an elaborate, wordy, barely comprehensible piece of word world building. The Matrix gets most of the explanatory stuff out of the way in a few efficient strokes in the front-loaded first third of the movie. So you can get to the combo heist movie, chase scene, fight scene, Tron, Mission Impossible action flick that it becomes towards the end. It's really heavy on the lore at the beginning. And then it's just an action movie after that, essentially. But that lore was so was so permeating, even back then, that it has taken root in our kind of group cons uh, consciousness mm -hmm. and just kind of sprung up into a, a thing that we all kind of secretly believe, at least in a low-key way, about the world around us. There are people pulling strings that we don't see. There are things that we're being told that isn't real. We are being shown something over and over again saying, or being told that it's one thing and it's really another. Like how many times have we thought in the last two years that really this is happening? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. How is nobody else seeing this? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I don't even need to give you examples. Mm -hmm. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every day, something. So it's that uh, wake up sheeple, take the red pill kind of attitude, uh, alternative facts, truth isn't truth, fake news, all that's going on right now. And all that jazz. <laughs> uh, you think about the the Terminator as well. It's got the idea, you know, this is coming Terminator. and you can't stop it. Uh, so if, I'll be back. <laughs> if that's the truth, then the next logical step is this already happened and you don't even know it. <laughs> uh, it also drew from the X-Files in the 90s. You know, the X-Files was doing a lot of this kind of stuff as well. I mean, they mostly did Freak of the Week monster stuff. But occasionally there'd be these conspiracy things about uh vast majority of people being unknowing puppets in an alien-run world that was unseeable by them. Uh, let's see. So this was supposed to be like uh, the Wachowski said that this was a a quasi religious salvation narrative, you know, as it always is. Any movie where like he's the one, you know, that's always a a Jesus esque storyline that they're telling. There's a savior somewhere that's going to stop all of this from happening. Right. Um. But when you look at everything that's been going on in the recent years, it's it's really, really easy to make all those comparisons, like I said. 
that reality is fake and I don't have to listen to anyone about anything. Plus, maybe I know karate, despite never having studied it. <laughs> 1999 ended uh, with the endless run up to Y2K, which, you know, that was terrifying all of us, too. We uh -huh. all thought that we were going to go back to the Stone Age, not be in a part of a computer world. Planes are going to be falling out of the sky. TVs would explode in your face. Anything with a computer chip would uh, become sentient and hunt us all down for sport. All kinds of terrifying scenarios. Actually, I think we were just going to assume that like atomic bombs would go off and yeah. all kinds of things. The world would just cease to exist. And then uh, by like 12.03 a.m. on January 1st, everyone's like, oh. Okay, then. And nothing happened. Uh, but then, fast forward uh, almost two years, 9-11 happened. 9-11 shook so many people our age, right? Mm -hmm. And it really made us focus on what's going on with the world around us, not yeah. just here in America. It made us see a larger picture. And so that was taking our focus from our own personal lives here in our town, in our state, in our country, and seeing there's so much of a bigger picture in the world. Mm -hmm that we don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. And so that in itself seeded into our brain of there's a bigger picture that we're not seeing. And so is it so illogical that we would eventually make the jump of, oh, there's something even beyond this. There's a realm beyond this that we're not seeing. Hashtag there is. Hashtag facts. <laughs> but it might not be what you think we're talking about. <sighs> so... Let's see. The Matrix is in every single, everything you know about this is wrong, YouTube video or uh, article on the TV. The phrase life hack, which suggests that your daily existence is a code that you need help cracking. That's all over the internet. Uh, Did life hack come from the Matrix? No, but oh. the fact that your life is something that can be hacked. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got it. It used to just be like fun, fun tip. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's life hack, life hacking, baby. It's why have I never thought of it? Like <laughs> right. It's all become uh, synonymous with our culture. Unlike Star Wars or like Harry Potter or any other number of beloved franchises that do intertwine with our world. The Matrix inspires relatively little devotion to its actual content. It's the idea of there being something like the Matrix in existence that grabs us and holds on to us. It's not so much a fandom. Like, there's not swaths of, of Matrix fans out there, you know, filling up the Comic Cons. Right. But the idea of a Matrix has been implanted in our brains mostly by that movie and refuses to let go. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. Okay? Interesting already, right? Mm. <laughs> Kind of scary, right? It hurts. <laughs> the film gives everyone the authority to say this isn't really happening. But is it? Here's the thing that we're going to be talking about next. There is a growing, massively quickly growing theory that it's not only possible 
that we live in a simulation, but that it's actually probable. The odds are in favor of us being in a simulation. And there are so many huge scientific names that are leaning towards this theory. Before we go, though, Mo, I want I want your thoughts. I don't have any thoughts. <laughs> Legit. I don't have thoughts. Are you terrified about where we're going next? I'm so very terrified. <laughs> My brain already hurts. And here's the problem. Yeah. I've never seen The Matrix. You've never seen the original Matrix? No. That's interesting. As a matter of fact, out of that entire list of movies that you listed, <laughs> I've only seen one. Which was what? The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense. That's a good movie. M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> so, uh, well then, I guess since you haven't seen the original Matrix, then you probably didn't care about watching the Matrix 4 preview. No. Uh, but the Matrix 4 is, it's um, from what it's showcasing in the preview anyway, Keanu Reeves' character, which I believe his actual name is Thomas Anderson or something like that. Yeah, his Matrix name in the inside. Um He's back in the fictional world. And they even reference the word the Matrix in it. Like somebody saying, you're going back to where it began, the Matrix. And you see him taking all these vials of blue pills and stuff like that. And the prevailing theory is that this movie is actually going to be starting off saying that the Matrix was a movie in this world. That Thomas Anderson starred in as Neo. Like it didn't really happen and that it's a movie. But in reality... It's happening. It happened and they have reframed it in the storyline to make him believe that it was fake in order to dismiss it as being a possibility. My head hurts. <laughs> How... If that is what they're, I mean, that's what the, that's what the, again, prevailing theory is based on this one preview, but I can totally see that in the way that it was set up. And I'm like, how brilliant is that for this fourth installment? And you see scenes in there. They have a new guy playing the Morpheus character, which was Lawrence Fishburne in the first one, have a new younger guy playing it. And you see similar scenes to the original movie. And I'm thinking like. Is this the guy that's really going to have the realization? Like he was the actor that he still knows here that originally quote unquote played Morpheus or he was taught played Morpheus. Uh, and like, he's having the realization now that that matrix was actually real. And like, it's just going to be, it's going to be a good movie. I can't wait to see it. They really screwed up with the second and third movie. I don't think they did a, did a heck of a lot of good with that one, but if they can make this one, a spiritual sequel as a number two, that would be great. Not a spiritual sequel. That's the wrong term. But if they could make this basically a secondary second movie where we don't even need the second or third, that'd be great. Okay. It's going to be fun. My head hurts. Most scared. Terrified. She's not an unenthusiastic. She might sound that way in the podcast. I'm... She's terrified. And that's the best kind of mo. When... <laughs> I don't know how I feel right now. <laughs> I, it means it's you're all, ready to learn. It's all making sense. <laughs> you purposely do these shows, <laughs> the, these topics, 
to mess my life up. <laughs> Just wait till the next one. It's going to, oh man, this next section is going to be so good. I don't know how I feel right now. <laughs> This week is all about questioning reality. When we come back, we're going to talk about the growing scientific theory that we actually are in a simulation. More after the break. This week in nerdy news, this is LTNN. The FBI is warning people of an updated scam involving cryptocurrency. The scam begins in much the same way most of these scams do. You receive a call or email from someone who is presenting themselves as someone they're not. Usually an authority figure, a boss, a bank officer, a police officer, possibly even a love interest. The scammer will somehow convince the victim that they need to send money, sometimes to pay a debt you didn't know you owed, which they threaten legal action if you don't pay, to cancel a warrant you didn't know you had. That's not how warrants work. To double your money on a sure thing investment. Other random blackmail scams, which are almost certainly fake. To correct a refund error over some computer program you supposedly purchased. You've won a prize, which somehow requires you to pay for the tax and fees right then and there. Your friend or relative is in serious trouble and needs cash. Always check with other relatives first. And even promises of affection. Now, the classic version of this scam involves sending money via wire transfer, but that requires a form to be filled out and a discussion with an actual person who might be trained to look for scams. Most often, it involves gift cards, usually Google Play cards, in which you buy cards in the amount necessary and send them the redemption codes. However, with the rise of cryptocurrency ATMs, a new version has arisen where you simply visit an ATM that supports crypto and reads QR codes. These are all over most major cities and are likely to pop up in smaller cities soon. Once the victim's there, they'll scan a QR code code that the scammer has sent them, which will tell the machine to send any crypto purchased to the scammer's address. Just like that, the victim loses their money and the scammer has successfully exploited them. This type of scam is nearly impossible to reverse once it's completed. It's also usually impossible to trace the scammer's location, as they will likely be in another country entirely anyway. You can find good guidelines on how to avoid getting scammed on the FBI and Federal Trade Commission websites, but the bottom line is this. If someone is asking you to send them money and you can't verify who they are, don't do it using any method. Here are some key phrases to look out for that'll warn you it's a scam. Make sure you don't hang up the phone. Don't tell anyone what the money is for. And any offer to send you more money than they're supposed to send you with the idea that you'll send them part of it back. Bottom line, almost any legitimate organization doesn't need to transfer money via process with little to no security or protection for that specific reason. And almost none would initiate these kinds of transactions over the phone. So, crypto or otherwise, don't send money to anyone without verifying they are who they say they are. That was This Week in Nerdy News. I'm Radio Matt, and this is LTNN. And this is Reviews of the Nerds. Today, I'm reviewing Sunday School Answers, created by Michael Mordanga. Sunday School Answers is self-described as the original Christian parody of Cards Against Humanity. 
Although this card game is compatible with similar card games, it is recommended to start with the updated Sunday School Answers new 2021 core game. There are also expansions available, such as the Superhero deck, which will be my next purchase along with the meme deck. They also have the Christmas Edition, the Jabroni deck, the Nerd deck, and many more. You can search for Sunday School Answers on thegamecrafter.com or check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SSA The Game. I can tell you that the laughs didn't stop the entire time I played this game with my family during one of our game nights. We went through the deck and had to see how many different phrases we could create. Although I would say that this game is family friendly, I would always suggest checking out the content for yourself on their website. When you click on a deck and scroll down, they have provided samples of what you can expect in each deck. I cannot get enough of this game and find myself playing the nerd deck when I need a good laugh throughout the week. With that said, not only do I, but my family as well give Sunday School Answers a 10 out of 10 and recommend it for your next game night. I'm Danessa McPherson asking, have you played a game today? Welcome back to the Backroom Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And every week, these three main segments get spread out across three daily morning shows on LTN Radio, and they include a lot more content, including weird news, random facts, games, challenges, rants, Discord arguments, junk food, and more. And you can be a part of all that by following us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash LTN on air, so you'll be notified when we go live. You can even be part of the show. And make sure you catch our full morning shows every Monday through Thursday on LTNonair.com at 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. Sorry. It's a morning show, not a morning evening show. There you go. 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10. Previously, we talked about the Matrix and how it put us down the path of questioning everything. Now we're going to do a deep dive into what is known as the simulation theory and how it's one of the fastest growing theories among some of the biggest scientific minds. This isn't on the same plane as like the flat earth theory, largely assumed to be regulated to people being deliberately blind to the science, but instead... It's ranking up there with minds we consider authorities in the science realm, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Elon Musk, and Stephen Hawking. So this is going to be fun. <laughs> Mo, are you still scared? <laughs> Apparently, our definitions of fun are very different. All right. So I'm really going to read most of this article. This, this comes from uh, interestingengineering.com, and it's called... Living in the Matrix, everything you need to know about simulation theory. <laughs> the most memorable things about the Matrix are, without a doubt, the questions it asks about the true nature of reality. The series gave millions of viewers pause by pointedly asking, what if, we all, what if all we experience in life is simply a simulation? Yet while the movie made the idea popular, it certainly didn't invent the premise. The question has actually plagued philosophers and scientists for millennia, like we said in the previous section. And surprisingly enough, some experts think we actually might be living in a simulation. Leading scientists from institutions like MIT and Oxford have a lot to say about our reality and the idea that we may all be living in a computer simulation. However, before we jump into any further into it, it is a good to mention that there is more of a thought experiment rather than cold hard facts. Okay, so 
as we're going through this, you might be having weird revelations, but it's still just a theory. There's nothing proving this is really the case. It's just a thought experiment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I feel like you have to say that. Is that like some sort of disclaimer? <laughs> uh, maybe I'm being told to say that. There's some compelling, <laughs> there's some compelling arguments out there for simulation theory, but the overarching idea can't be tested, meaning that it can't be proven true or false. As a result, it's a, it is a little outside the realm of science. So first question, what if I told you that physical reality is an illusion and we all live in a computer simulation? The idea of simulation theory can be attributed to the prominent Oxford University philosopher Nick Bostrom uh, in a paper aptly dubbed, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? The paper argues that one of the following assumptions, one of the following assumptions are true. One, the human species is very likely to go extinct before reaching a post-human stage. Two, any post-human civilization is extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their evolutionary history. Or three, we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation. Now, in short, the paper argues that we cannot know for sure if any of these are 100% likely to occur without a doubt. However, according to the paper, the third option is probably the most probable outcome. In short, our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren will probably have the computing power needed to run evolutionary simulations of humanity. And why wouldn't they? And how would you know that you are not currently a part of that simulation? Ponder that for a second. Oh, I am. <laughs> so the idea essentially is, one day, they will have this technology. And so to put it in like what's with what's happening now, imagine that few thousand years into the future, they have the ability to run a computer simulation all contained in this computer of how society will go. And it's sped up to them so they can see results. But for us, it's going by in real time. And they run. How did the COVID-19 epidemic happen? How did it originally spread? And so they run a simulation on different ideas of different theories of how the COVID-19 thing spread. Was it in a lab? Was it bat soup at the wet market? And they run two simulations with both of those things and see what the outcomes will be and if they're, if which one is similar to the result that we actually saw here. And if that were to happen in the future, how do we know we're not in one of those right now? And what makes it more probable is the fact that they could run a thousand simulations with just tiny variables. And if there's a thousand simulations that are identical to actual reality and only one actual reality, then the odds that you're in one of the thousand simulations and not an actual reality are so much greater than the one in however many thousand chance that you're in the real world. I wish this part was on camera so you could see Mo mulling this over. <laughs> it makes my head hurt. 
Let's get back to the article. So Bolstrom says, many works of science fiction, as well as some forecasts by serious technologists and futurologists, predict that enormous amounts of computing power will be available in the future. So let us suppose for a moment that these predictions are correct. One thing that later generations might do with their super powerful computers is run detailed simulations of their forebears or of people like their forebears, because their computers would be so powerful they could run a great many such simulations. Apart from the interest, this thesis may hold for those who are engaged in futuristic speculation. There is also more purely theoretical rewards. The argument uh, provides a stimulus for formulating some methodological and metaphysical questions, and it suggests naturalistic analogies to certain traditional religious conceptions, which some I find amusing or thought-provoking. A lot of big words there. Mm-hmm. Bolstrom... It's Can not you the break only. It down for me. <laughs> well, I mean, essentially, is what I'm saying is they could run thousands of different simulations with minor tweaks here and there. Uh, if they were running a simulation that Jesus was actually who the Bible says he was, and then they could run a simulation where he was just a preacher and he wasn't the Son of God, and see how the church would grow in each of those situations. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, where was I? Bolstrom is not the only person that believes that we're living in a simulation. MIT developer and Play Labs executive director Rizwan Verk expanded on Bolstrom's idea in his book, The Simulation Hypothesis, describing what he calls the simulation point or the moment at which we could realistically build a matrix-like simulation. In an interview with Digital Trends, Rizwan Verk describes his interpretation of simulation theory, stating, the basic idea is that everything we see around us, including the Earth and the universe, is part of a a very sophisticated MMORPG, massively multiplayer online role-playing game, and that we are players in this game. The hypothesis itself comes in different forms. Uh, now we're going to skip a little bit. Uh, we talked about Plato and his allegory of the cave and a couple other things yesterday. So like this, this idea has been around, but it hasn't fully gained steam until recently. Uh, the hypothesis about our reality has made its way into pop culture, of course, like we said, The Matrix. Uh, but more notably, astrophysicists Neil deGrasse Tyson and Elon Musk have both welcomed and embraced the theory. In an interview with NBC News, Neil deGrasse Tyson expressed that there is probably a better than 50-50 odds that the simulation hypothesis is correct, stating, I wish I could summon a strong argument against it, but I can find none. This also echoes a similar sentiment that Musk shares toward the nature of our reality. At the Code Conference of 2016, Musk stated, 40 years ago, we had Pong, two rectangles and a dot. That's where we were. That's where we were <laughs> just 40 years ago. Now, 40 years later, we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously, and it's getting better every year. And soon we'll have virtual reality. We'll have augmented reality. If you assume any rate of improvement at all, then games will become indistinguishable from reality. I'm not okay with that. <laughs> it really puts it into perspective with yes, 40 years ago. It really does. Right? Mm -hmm. My gosh. Because, yeah. Like, I still, I, th I think I told you the story, but I still remember showing my dad my first Nintendo DS. Mm hmm. And he's seeing like 3D video yeah. games happening in a pocket system with two screens. And he looked at me and said, man, if you'd have told me something like this would have existed when I was a kid, I would have thought you were a crazy person. Mm -hmm. So in 40 years from Pong to now, what will happen even before we die? What's going to happen in the next 40 years that we have left here? 
crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> and also terrifying. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit terrifying. Uh, if one progresses at the current rate of technology a few decades into the future, very quickly, we will be a society where artificial entities are living in simulations that are much more abundant than human beings. However, not everyone fully embraces the idea of simulation theory. In an interview with The Guardian, Max Tegmark, a phys, uh, professor of physics at MIT, stated that, it is, is it logically possible that we are in a simulation? Yes. Are we probably in a simulation? I'd say no. In order to make that argument in the first place, we need to know what the fundamental laws of physics are where the simulations are being made. And if we are in a simulation, then we have no clue what the laws of physics are. Nevertheless, Tegmark went on to state that recognizing that we are probably living in a simulation, uh, we are probably living in a simulation as a game changing, uh, I'm sorry, is a game changing thought just as Copernicus realizing that the earth was not the center of the universe. So that if it's true, like when, when we thought the earth was the center of the universe, we had our, our own idea about where we were mm -hmm. and realizing that we weren't completely changed everything. Mm -hmm. So now if we were to realize we were in a simulation, what would happen <laughs> if we became aware of it? Like in the matrix, what would happen? Oh, I don't even want to know. And would they I just don't... shut it off? Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's terrifying. Uh, it's uh, mm -hmm. I knew you'd find this terrifying. I feel like <laughs> the purge could be like it could end up being a real thing. Then I feel like more people would if if we knew that we were in a simulation. Mm -hmm. I could see that becoming the mindset of a lot of people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Holy. <laughs> uh, so the idea of simulating the universe, of course, is not too absurd. Uh, this is the most obvious. You've probably played games like Sid Meier's Civilization or even The Sims. These games allow us to simulate human life on a global scale uh, or within a small neighborhood. As mentioned above, at the rate of which computing power is growing, what is stopping humans from simulating their history? Uh, as a 90s or 80s baby, you have watched games evolve into these, oh, just talking about this, into these photorealistic 3D renderings of reality. Computing power in just the, la the next 50 years will be millions of times more powerful than it is today. Harvard's Odyssey computer can already simulate 14 billion years in just a matter of months. Okay, so get this. <laughs> Every time one of us logged on and played The Sims, we allowed one of them to go on vacation for a little while. <laughs> we then became the controllers of all things. And I'm beginning to wonder... Whatever happened to my character? <laughs> like, also, did I make somebody go homeless? Like, they lost their job and when you, their right. life just went... When you think about the possibility that you are really just a grandiose video game character, did I actually kill all those Tamagotchi pets? <laughs> did they feel pain? <laughs> <sighs> 
All right, so now we're going to get into some of the um, quote-unquote evidences, maybe. My head hurts. Oh, there's so much. Well, we're about halfway through. So the first idea is the Fermi paradox. Where are all the aliens? Where have all the cowboys gone? Do you ever wonder why humans have not come into contact with aliens yet? In the vast, unimaginable size of the universe, why are there not more signs of intelligent life out there? <sighs> Welcome to the Fermi Paradox. Named after the Italian-American physicist Enrico Fermi, the Fermi Paradox is the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence for external civilizations and various high estimates for their probability, the Drake Equation. Perhaps there are no aliens in this simulation. In this current reality, the easiest thing to do for the people behind the simulation is simply simulate life in just one place in the universe. The universe that we are in might have just been created for us. Psst. <laughs> Hashtag. It was. Fact. But we'll talk about that next. <sighs> Maybe we will never be able to prove that we are in a simulation. Uh... Scientists like nuclear physicists, physicist uh, Zohre Davoudi and NYU David Chalmers, Chalmers, <laughs> <laughs> Zohre Davoudi and David Chalmers have made it very clear that the chances of us living in a simulation are most likely very low. Even more so, how would you go about proving that you live in a simulation? As David Chalmers simply puts it, you're not going to get proof that we're not in a simulation because any evidence that we could get could be simulated. Yet, there could be examples of simulation all around us. Uh, so this is just what we were talking about yesterday. Uh, do you ever experience something and think to yourself, this can't be real? Mm -hmm. And some people who have brought into the notion that our reality is currently being simulated, there are examples all around us that demonstrate glitches in the matrix. Deja vu? Mm-hmm. Could be a situation where something's happened, something needed to be tweaked, they fixed it, and you, and they didn't get the, like, the play start right perfect where you left off. And so you relived those few seconds once more, slightly different, in a way that made you feel uneasy, thus remembering two different versions of that actually happening. Ghosts. Deleted characters. Remnants in the file of deleted characters. An audio file here. A digit there. A shadow here that they refute that they didn't take off the mapping. <laughs> Just like happens in real games. Occasionally in real games, there's a character or a non-playable character somewhere that they decide, no, we're not going to put them there, but they forget to remove the shadow that the person was there for. The Mandela Effect where we remember something happening. So many people remember it happening this exact way. This thing existing or being named this thing. But for some reason, reality is different than what a group of people actually remember being. The Berenstain Bears instead of the Berenstain Bears. Mm -hmm. uh, Sinbad starring in uh, the movie Shazam as a genie. So many people believe that really happened and it never happened. Until College Humor made it happen uh, on April Fool's Day a few years ago. <laughs> like, that in and of itself could be very much like deja vu. Something was rewritten. Something was changed. Or perhaps your file, your person, your character, 
was transferred from a different simulation at some point. And so you do remember things the way they were, just in a different reality. <laughs> All of these could be direct examples of flaws in the simulation. Some have simply pointed out that the most recent events in history is proof that we're currently living in a simulation. Could the coronavirus be an indication that we're living in a simulation? Just like we talked about yesterday. And uh, you're not going to like this one. There is some scientific evidence. And it's creepy. MIT theoretical physicist James Gates has made a discovery that allegedly caused Neil deGrasse Tyson to sit down in shock. Now, for the uninitiated, superstring theory is a concept that could unify all aspects of physics if proven right. While working on his superstring theory, he made an odd discovery. Gates claims to have identified what appears to be actual computer code embedded in the equations of string theory that describe the fundamental particles of our universe. In short, he found error-correcting codes. The same error-correcting codes that you can find in the web browser you're using on your computer or phone. Think about how much math is in the world around us. We've seen these mathematical constants, uh, laws of physics, the Fibonacci sequence, the like the spiral, the perfect spiral of like a snail shell, and how that's found in so many other things in our nature. Mm -hmm. Like all these different things that work so mathematically perfect. The world that we live in, being in just the right perfect section between two other planets in the distance from the sun, having the moon, having all these perfect laws of physics, having all the exact right chemicals and everything like that to just formulate life here. And if one of these things was off by just a micron, life wouldn't exist here. Mm -hmm. I mean, Christians have been saying that for years. Of course. And we're going to talk about that more. <laughs> but when you're looking at it from a agnostic or atheistic right. worldview... You can see how easy it is to think, gosh, there is so much, there's so much perfect creation. How could it have formed from such chaos? Which again, is what we're going to talk about tomorrow. So hopefully that might put you a little bit at ease. <laughs> yeah, slightly. So I, 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 okay. That's pretty much the end of the article. Okay. I had an experience the other day. Okay. And this whole conversation is making me question it, making me wonder. So I'm standing in the middle of the library and I'm putting things away, reshelving books, cleaning up the area. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing in the middle of the library where nothing is around me. But I physically felt like on my hip, something brush against me hard, firmly. Kind of like I had bumped into something, but there's nothing around me. Absolutely nothing. I'm slightly freaking <laughs> out right now. Well, we were, like we were, when we were talking about the leftover assets of a character yes. being deleted. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like Who I, was in the library <laughs> with me? 
that got deleted. Who was supposed to be here? Right. Didn't get your shadow. I know. Um, Like the other, that story that happened here at the church where we were. Yes. Where I heard a cough behind me, a very clear, very loud. Oh, that's not (coughs) the story I thought you were talking about. That sounded right behind me. Oh, the other one. Yeah. The footsteps. Yeah. The foot, bare footprints, adult bare footprints that nobody knows how they showed up are in a place that nobody else would go other than people that would know. Like, just really weird. Yeah. Showing up on days that nobody was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had, like, I heard a distinctive cough behind me, and I freaked out, and I grabbed my billy club, and I ran all over the place trying to find it. Nobody was there. There was not a single person. I checked every possible scenario. Nobody was there. What if that's an audio file that didn't get deleted from a non-playable character that was supposed to walk into the room? <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff is is freaky to think about. It is. Incredibly. <laughs> incredibly. I'm going to throw another idea out. Have you seen the movie Us? No, sorry. Old. Have you seen the movie Old? That's a new movie, right? It's a I new, have not seen it, but a, I've seen the picture for it. Okay, it's a new M. Night Shyamalan. Okay. Um... Which I love. Do we need a spoiler alert? Since spoiler alert, okay, spoiler probably. Spoiler alert for yeah. old. I love M. Night. My my favorite, I favorite. I him earlier on. His later oh, this stuff one has is been good. a little bit. Eh. This one is good. Okay. Um. So these people book a vacation, go to this tropical island. They are then escorted to what is supposed to be like this remote location for just specifically these families, you know? Um, so they get to go to this private beach and while they're there, they begin to age Mm. rapidly. And the entire time you see up on this mountain, that's kind of overlooking the ocean up on this cliff, you can see like what looks like a mirror reflecting or a camera, a lens of some sort, Mm -hmm. you know, something shining from up on top. So, you get the idea that somebody's watching. Okay. Who is watching these people? Okay. What it ends up being is a bunch of doctors and scientists have come together. They've handpicked these people with different diseases. They bring them to this hotel. Upon arrival of the hotel, they already know the diseases that they have. Okay. They give them a concoction of medicine to see how their body reacts to it and then send them to this beach that causes them to age rapidly to see if the medicine that they have given them helps heal them of their ailments. Okay. So they are trying to rid the world of illness and disease. Which, when you think about it, is like, whoa, genius, brilliant, you know? But then you're like, hold up. I didn't sign up for this. Right. I just wanted to go on a nice vacation. (laughs) Like, what's happening? That, this reminds me of, like, the whole (laughs) simulation, simulated reality. Right. it's like, how how did COVID arise? Yeah. If they can understand exactly what happened by running the simulation themselves with different variables on how it started, they can figure out how to prevent it from happening again. Uh-huh. Because this is supposed to go in like 100-year cycles, right? This happened with the Spanish flu about 100 years before. Was it 100 or was it 1,000? I don't remember. But anyway, while back, 
I think it's 100. 100 new cycles. Yeah. And uh, I remember uh, George W. Bush even said that. He said, you know, we're due, we're overdue for a pandemic to happen uh, in our lifetime. And so, I mean, yeah, what if that is a thing? <laughs> what if they have to wait 100 years between simulated... <laughs> simulated things which for them is five minutes you know right like all right let's get them some time to recover build back up all right let's hit them with covid let's see what yeah. happens <laughs> it's all freaky stuff so the other thing that's not listed in this article that was brought up as like a possible evidence is the fact that we can't travel faster than the speed of light you know how you can be in a a a, a sandbox video game where you can walk around anywhere you want mm -hmm. but then there's a limit there's eventually a barrier, a wall, right. where you can't keep going down that road anymore. Like, that's the end of the map. Mm -hmm. So what if not being able to travel past, faster than the speed of light it's the end of is our keeping map? us from getting to the end of our map? And that's why there's no aliens. It's why there's nothing else. Because in reality, the map does end there. The map ends, and what we're seeing beyond that map is just a painted structure that automates itself around for what we can see in the sky but we are bound within this boundary. <laughs> oh, good grief. <laughs> it's really, I mean, I know it's, it's kind of creepy and weird to think about, but it's also just a very interesting thought process, mm -hmm. a thought experiment. Mm -hmm. uh, so now in our first two discussions, we've looked at the possibility of a simulated world, but next up, we're gonna look at scientific theories that have arisen that imply a creator or connection to the biblical account of events and how they could change the way we look at the origins of our planet. God is in the details. Stick around. Walking in faith. The dictionary defines faith as complete trust or confidence in something or someone. I can remember being taught in Sunday school that faith is believing in something even if you can't see it. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul reminds us that we walk by faith and not by sight. But really, what does all of this mean? To believe in something or someone fully and completely even when we can't see it or them and not falling idle to the things we can see but may cause us to stumble. I'm a self-proclaimed overanalyzer. I will relive a conversation several times over and over, picking apart every word spoken and dissecting the tone in which each word was relayed, all in hopes of trying to find some underlying meaning. It's exhausting. I have a friend, though, who is an overanalyzer of a different kind. I like to refer to him as a researcher of all things. He will write out all the pros and cons of what may or may not happen in every situation he's placed in, trying to be prepared for all the what-ifs. I know for him, it's exhausting. To the world, being prepared is noble. Having a plan B or a backup is encouraged, but where exactly is the faith? Specifically in terms of walking with the Lord and living out the calling he has placed on our lives. If we make list after list of all the things that could go wrong, eventually we're going to shut the door on the opportunity God has opened for us. If we plan for all the possibilities and something outside the plan happens, we may find ourselves doubting whether or not we heard God right. But when we walk by faith, we have complete confidence that even in all the what ifs and unseen, God is there. He has equipped us for this purpose and will not leave us to fail. 
When we walk in faith, we can stand firm in the promise of Romans 8:28, remembering that God works all things together for good, even the mess ups, even the unplanned fails, even the things fully out of our control that he actually had control of the entire time. He will work it all together for the good as long as we obediently walk by faith. another person that used a word or phrase that you were absolutely certain you should know, but you didn't? Of course you have. Well, don't worry, nerd, because we've got some great news for you. You're about to learn something brand new. This is the real world, bub, and you need to learn to hold your own in a nerdy conversation. So pull up an ear and pay attention because LTN has another nerdy definition for you. Today's term is bullet time. Also known as frozen moment, dead time, flow motion, or time slice, bullet time is a visual effect or visual impression of detaching the time and space of a camera or viewer from those of its visible subject. The bullet time effect was originally achieved photographically by a set of still cameras surrounding a subject. The cameras are fired sequentially or all at the same time depending on the desired effect. Single frames from each camera are then arranged and displayed consecutively to produce an orbiting viewpoint of an action frozen in time or as hyper slow motion. This technique suggests the limitless perspectives and variable frame rates possible with a virtual camera. However, if the still array process is done with real cameras, it is often limited to assigned paths. While this special effect didn't originate with the Matrix, the term bullet time might have. This effect is how many of the shots where a character leaps into the air, freezes in midair, and the camera pans all the way around them is achieved. The first instance of the bullet time effect might be in the 1962 movie Zots, in which a nutty professor uses an ancient amulet to stop a bullet. So when The Matrix 4 comes out and you hear someone wondering out loud if there will be any more bullet time shots in this movie, you'll know what to look out for on screen because you understand that reference. Welcome back to the Back Row Morning Show. I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. There's a lot going on in our Discord, backrowdiscord.com, where you get to chat after the show, share your own show ideas, keep up to date with our Twitch and YouTube, be a part of our radio shows, and also see behind-the-scenes workings of Back Row Games, including Sunday School Answers. Again, go to backrowdiscord.com to join. This week, we're talking about simulated reality. Not video games, but real life. Matt's talking about it. I'm just trying to survive (laughs) over here. (laughs) Up next, we're going to look at scientific theories about our reality and how many of them point to a creator or biblical account. I'm freaking out, Jerry. Yeah. I'm freaking out. Fact. (laughs) So there are actually quite a lot of theories that have been brought up, and and we touched on a a few of them lightly in the last segment, Uh, but we're going to go over a few of these and just see how when we we go through them, they kind of point to the idea of a creator or at least lining up with some of the biblical accounts of things that happened in, in Genesis. So the first one we have up here is the laboratory theory, which uh, was what was brought up in a news story a couple weeks ago. Okay. Where the guy brought up, hey, we, we actually, it's pretty likely that we're, we're in a laboratory run by aliens. And this is, this goes along the same line with simulation theory, which is this was created like everything 
everything seems to have this mathematic mathematical mathematical. Yeah, math. sure. I'm I'm coining Why that phrase not? right now. Mathematical purpose to it that it had to have been created. And uh, yeah, I mean that that of course obviously points to a creator, and we don't need to hype on it too much because we did talk about it a couple weeks ago. Um, and we also talked about briefly in that discussion the hypercane theory. So the hypercane theory is essentially that, first of all, that hypercanes are possible, which are just gigantic hurricanes. But the theory arose that maybe the dinosaurs weren't killed by a comet. You know, maybe they were killed by a global flood caused by a massive amount of hypercanes hitting the planet all at once. Or there are some theories that the comet hitting the planet caused the massive amount of hypercanes to hit the planet all at once. But in either case, massive amount of flooding, enough to shift the world from Pangaea to where all the continents are today, instead of it being one big continent, now everywhere it is. And uh, as soon as I first heard that theory, I was like, yeah, okay. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, that seems like it makes sense. That seems like how they would write that based on what they were seeing at the time back in Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> Hypercanes. Uh, but anyway, that does point to a global flood. And, you know, there have been so many civilizations that were not Christian, that were in different parts of the world, that have the global flood as a part of their oral and even, like hieroglyphs and whatever history like there's there's many accounts in different civilizations throughout history of a global flood of some kind why do we ignore that <laughs> it's the only reason that we're not assuming that that could have happened somehow some way because it's coming from a bible story mm -hmm. and like when you think about it like you know how john wrote revelation and he's talking about the streets are paved with gold and the gates are made of pearl those are obviously him looking at something with his human eyes right. and trying to process and understand and then describe them in the ways that he understands already. Right. This very shimmery, whatever, you know, could, could look like the uh, Asgard road or whatever, but he's just seeing a big shiny roll. It's like, it's like gold. It's shimmering, you know, mm -hmm. he could look at it, the, the gates and they might be clouds for all he knows but they're like they're all bulbous and white like pearls pearly gates mm -hmm. you know that's imagine that's how they <laughs> wrote the account of the flood it's like oh yeah well god god told all the angels to cry and everything flooded that's how we're looking at it from a scientific perspective like there's no way that could have happened yeah but then this theory pops up, giant global flood caused, caused by massive amounts of hypercanes that shifted the tectonic plates of the earth and moved continents and killed all the dinosaurs. Uh, okay. So are we back on the same page or what are we doing here? <laughs> are we still arguing? Are we friends now? What's happening? Uh, all right. So let's move on to some of the newer stuff uh, that we have not discussed yet. First up is the fast-forming Earth theory. So this is an article from Science Daily, and it says, the precursor to our planet, the proto-Earth, formed within a, this is, of course, based on, you know, evolutionary understanding, formed 
in a time span of approximately 5 million years, shows a new study from the Center of Star and Planet Formation and the Globe Institute of the University of Copenhagen. On an astronomical scale, that is extremely fast, the researchers, researchers explain. If you compare the solar system's estimated 4.6 years of existence within a 24-hour period, then the new results indicate that the proto-Earth formed in what corresponds to about a minute and a half ago. So if the entire uh, time that the solar systems existed is a 24-hour day, Earth has only existed for a minute and a half, as opposed to growing with the solar system, as is commonly thought. Okay? <laughs> this, I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not even going to go into more of this. You know, you can read how they explain that, and they're getting to that idea and how this is a growing theory. But that, again, implies... A fast-formed Earth. Mm -hmm. Now, they're stretching that out based on what they already understand. As is common with these theories, they take their, their, uh, you know, their, their end hypothesis and then explain it around that. So, I keep hitting the mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm moving my hands a lot. I'm trying not to hit it. Um, but the idea that it formed in a few million years as opposed to a couple billion years, which is what the original thought is, mm -hmm. that's a big difference. Yeah. That's a big difference. And how could what they thought everything happened over those billions of years occur in such a fast time? Again, implies that the process was on purpose. Let's move on. <laughs> Next up, the Goldilocks theory. This one's interesting. Earth may be a one in 700 quintillion kind of place. And that's what the current estimates are for how many planets exist in the universe. 700 quintillion. It's there's, basically... There's the, only eight. The Goldilocks theory... <laughs> the Goldilocks theory... Cheer about Pluto. That's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Goldilocks theory essentially says what Christians already believe. Earth is the only place there can be life. Mm -hmm. At least life like we know it. Because it is perfectly situated, like we said in the last segment, perfectly situated in range with all the other planets, with the moon, with the sun, with the laws of physics, with the laws of gravity, with the laws of uh, mathematics, with the right amounts of carbon and hydrogen and all the other chemicals and elements in this world. And if one of these things was just slightly off, uh, even the tilt of the earth itself and the axis that we're on, if one of these things was off by just a teensy bit, this earth would not still be around. There might have been enough time for life to, to quote unquote evolve, but it wouldn't be hanging out like it is now. It wouldn't just still be going. It would have eventually collapsed on itself. We live in an insanely fine tuned, perfect scenario. And therefore it's very possible. There are no other aliens. There is no other life because we fit, we won the lottery, essentially. The biggest, worst odds lottery there's ever been. Or, <laughs> again, this was all on purpose. <laughs> 
whether that be a simulation or God himself. <laughs> but this is what was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. This is how God made things. Um, it's, it's, it really is that earth is made just right for life. And so this is based on, it's called the Goldilocks theory because just right. Yeah. Not too hot, not too cold, not too anything else. We're just right. And it's very difficult to get everything right like this so much. So it's quite possible. We are the only ones that have. So when you think about the theory of there has to be other, there has to be aliens, there has to be other planets like that. But then you realize the odds of how earth would have come to form like this. It's just really easy now to say, no, there probably aren't any other aliens. Right. It probably is just us. (laughs) We have the, uh, let's see, let's go through some of the list of what we have. This is a good list about it. So the right ingredients, a planet needs liquid water an energy source and chemical building blocks like carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen for, for the life forms we're familiar with to thrive the right crust gas giants and molten worlds not need not apply. Luckily earth possesses the suitable distribution of elements to ensure a hot metallic core and a rocky mantle. The right temperature, the necessity for liquid water also means that planetary temperatures must permit the substance to retain its liquid form in some regions. The right moon, our large moon ensures climate stability by minimizing changes in planetary tilt. If our planet didn't have a tilt, it wouldn't have seasons. Likewise, a severe tilt would result in extreme seasons. The right star. The sun provides Earth with the energy for life and is thankfully rather stable. Imagine baking a pot roast with an oven that might suddenly surge in temperature, die, or explode. It wouldn't work for your pot roast, and it certainly wouldn't work for life. The right core. Earth's solid inner core and liquid outer core play crucial roles in protecting life from deadly solar radiation. Differences in temperature and composition in the two cores, core regions drive the powerful dynamo, emitting Earth's protective electromagnetic field. The right neighbors. Jupiter shields Earth from constant stellar bombardment. Without the gas giant in the neighborhood, scientists predict that Earth would endure 10,000 times as many asteroid and comet strikes. In short, Earth contains all the ingredients and environmental necessities for life to emerge, plus the relative safety for it to evolve unmolested for hundreds of millions of years on end. I mean... When you list it out like that. Mm-hmm. And that's not even all of it, but those right. are the biggest things. Yeah. It's to find an argument against it. <laughs> right. And at the same time, how much has to be perfect for you to not think there's a perfect creator of it? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. The the idea, one of, one of my favorite illustrations, I guess, that that uh we have for creation is like you know the earth forming the way it is is like going into a junkyard and blowing up a pile of debris and that pile of debris makes a perfectly formed jetliner that can fly mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like <laughs> oh mm-hmm. and like and we'll, we'll talk about this a little at the end. I know there's a lot, there's a lot than just circumstantial, uh, 
jokes like that between the creationism and evolution debate. There's there's a lot of stuff that's probably intermixed and a little bit of it's right here and a little bit of it's right there. And like I said, a lot of that has to do with the fact that what's written in the Bible is written from kind of the perspective of how they understood what they were seeing or hearing to help us understand it. Mm-hmm. And so there might be some of some of it that's written one way that if we were to see it now, we would understand it a little bit differently. There's always got to be that room for error. And the same thing is true with evolution. I have been studying evolution, the current science for evolution, since I was in high school. Uh, Every few years, I have a deep dive into it. And every few years when I come back to it, a lot of it's changed. And we say that, well, that's the scientific process. Okay, but how much do we have to have wrong over and over again before we're like, okay, well, let's look at some other theories, which is what is now starting to happen with all these different things here. So we also talked about simulation theory, of course, and uh, we talked all about, we don't really have to go back into all of what that was about, but again, that does imply some sort of creator. Um, Most religions have scriptures that contain some information, uh, pardon me, information on the creation of the universe. Christianity, of course, is the first two chapters of the Bible. The Quran offers an Islamic concept of the topic. Uh, According to Bolstrom, though, simulation argument, a technologically mature post-human civilization with enormous computing power could be our creator. Uh, In other words, if the theory is correct and we are inhabiting a simulation, these post-humans are like gods to us. They create our universe and the physical laws within us, within it. So again, the idea that we have these physical laws implies some sort of creator. Mm-hmm. So assume we're not a civilization, we're just a creation. <laughs> There's just the one of us, but it's still true that this is a kind of simulation because we were created and set forward on a path to see what happens next. <laughs> um, but this last one's very interesting, and this is a relatively new uh, experiment that is kind of throwing a kink in the idea of evolution itself. And it's called the Swedish chickens. Okay. And so let me just read what this says. Uh, Where is it at? Where is it at? Sorry, they they do a whole thing at the beginning that's not part of it. Ah, dang it. Give me a second. (laughs) All right. The Swedish chickens. There we go. Three years ago. Uh, Actually, it's more than that now. This article is a few years old. Researchers led by a professor at the University of Linköping in Sweden created a hen house that was specifically designed to make its chicken occupants feel stressed. The lighting was manipulated to make the rhythms of night and day unpredictable, so the chickens lost track of when to eat or roost. Unsurprisingly, they showed a significant decrease in their ability to learn how to find food hidden in a maze because their entire reality was mixed up. Mm -hmm. The surprising part is what happened next. The chickens were moved back into the non-stressful environment where they conceived and hatched chicks who were raised without stress. And yet these chicks too demonstrated unexpectedly poor skills at finding food in a maze. They appeared to have inherited a problem that had been inducted into their mothers through the environment. Further research established that the inherited change had altered the chick's gene expression, the way certain genes are turned on and off, bestowing any given animal with specific traits. 
The stress had affected the mother hens on a genetic level, and they had passed it on to their offspring. The Swedish chicken study was one of several recent breakthroughs in the youthful field of epigenetics, epigenetics, there we go, which primarily studies the epigenome, the productive package of proteins around which genetic material, strands of DNA, is wrapped. The epigenome plays a crucial role in determining which genes actually express themselves in the, create, in the creature's traits. In effect, it switches certain genes off and on and turns them up or down in intensity. It isn't news that the environment can alter the epigenome. What's news is that those changes can be inherited. And this doesn't, of course, apply only to chickens. Some of the most striking findings come from research involving humans. One study, again from Sweden, looked at the lifespans in Norrbotten, the country's northernmost province, where harvests are usually sparse but occasionally overflowing, meaning that historically, children sometimes grew up with wildly varying food intake from one year to the next. A single period of extreme overeating in the midst of the unusual short supply, researchers found could cause a man's grandsons to die an average of 32 years earlier than if his childhood food intake had been steadier. Your own eating patterns, this implies, may affect your grandchildren's lifespans years before your grandchildren or even your children are a twinkle in anybody's eye. Wow. It might not be immediately obvious why this, is such, this has such a profound implication for evolution, but in the way it's genetically understood, the whole point of natural selection, the so-called modern synthesis of Darwin's theories with, with subsequent discoveries about genes, is its beautiful, breathtaking, devastating simplicity. In each generation, genes undergo random mutations, making offspring subtly different from their parents. Those mutations that enhance an organism's abilities to thrive and reproduce in its own particular environment will tend to spread through the populations, while those that make successful breeding less likely will eventually peter out. As years of best-selling books by Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and others have seeped into the culture, we've come to understand that the awesome power of natural selection, frequently referred to as the best way in the history of science, the best idea, rather, in the history of science, lies in the sheer elegance of the way which simple principles have gen uh, generated the unbelievably complexities of life. <clears throat> From two elementary notions, random mutation and filtering power of the environment, have emerged over millennia such marvels as eyes, the wings of birds, and the human brain, things that are so deceivingly simple and yet amazingly complex. Yet epigenetics suggests that this isn't the whole story. If what happens to you during your lifetime, living in a stress-inducing henhouse, say, or overeating in northern Sweden, can affect how your genes express themselves in future generations, the absolutely simple version of natural selection begins to look questionable. Rather than genes simply offering up a random smorgasbord of traits in each new generation, which then either proves suited or unsuited for the environment, it seems that the environment plays a role in creating those traits in future generations, if only in a short-term and reversible way. You begin to feel slightly sorry for the much-mocked pre-Darwinian zoologist Jean-Baptiste Lamarck, who, whose own version of evolution held, most famously, that giraffes have long necks because their ancestors were obliged to browse for the leaves of trees and make the constant efforts to reach them. As a matter of natural history, he probably wasn't right about how giraffes' necks came to be so long, but Lamarck was scorned for, for a much more general apparent mistake, the idea that lifestyle might be able to influence heredity. Today, any high school student knows that genes are passed on unchanged from parent to child and to the next generation and the next. Lifestyle cannot alter heredity, except now it turns out that it can. 
So to an outsider, this is mind blowing. Since most of the history of life on Earth has been the history of microorganisms, the evidence for horizontal transfer suggests that a mainly Darwinian account of evolution may be only the latest version applicable to the most recent, much more complex forms of life. Perhaps before that, most evolution was based on horizontal exchange, which gives rise to a compelling philosophical puzzle. If a genome is what defines an organism, yet those organisms can swap genes freely, what does it even mean to draw a clear line between one organism and another? If the very concept of an organism in isolation is still valid at this level. In natural selection, we all know the fittest win out over their rivals. But what if you can't establish clear boundaries between rivals in the first place? So survival of the fittest, this whole idea that we've evolved because we've been the best. We've continued. We've continued to beat out over the, the ones that are evolving in the wrong direction, the ones that are, are mutating incorrectly, now appears to not actually be possible. Because how could we distinguish when those traits that make us less so are passed on generations before we existed. <laughs> Essentially saying, this is throwing a big wrench into the idea of evolution. Now, this yeah. is not a Christian uh, scientist or anything. This is, this is still a very much, we're still going to try and you know, prove this is evolution somehow. It's just a different version of evolution. And it goes on for, for much more. And you can read it. We'll put, the, put all these links in the, in the, um, the page that we post on the website for with all of our links but uh it's just it's it's a constant moving target apparently i mean everything is reframed constantly with the idea of the theory of evolution and yet we're being told over and over again that this is a fact how can we call it a fact when the the facts behind the fact are continually changing uh-huh uh-huh. Often, and in many cases, it feels like they're really, really reaching as far as they possibly can to prove there's no creator. There's no higher intelligence. There's no intelligent design. And it's getting more and more difficult for them to do that. Well, it's just like this circle, you know, and the further that they reach thinking that they're <laughs> yeah, getting away analogy, from it, yeah. they're actually... Driving back around to yeah, getting closer. <laughs> but one of the mo one of the more interesting things, you know, Scott Adams, the uh, you know the cartoon strip Dilbert. Mm -hmm. Scott Adams, Scott Adams, uh, who who drew that, wrote that, wrote a book where he made a whole bunch of wacky predictions, expecting eventually some of them to come true. Mm -hmm. He wrote this several years ago, but one of his predictions is that evolution will be disproved in his lifetime. Now, he doesn't disagree with evolution, per se, but he believes that things have been changing so much and things have been discovered uh, at such a faster pace lately that what they thought originally was the case is different, and so they have to rethink everything again and reframe everything again, that eventually we're going to reach the point where, you know what, this probably couldn't have happened. I'm interested to know if that will actually happen. Yeah. Uh, so again, the creationism 
versus evolution debate. That's not really what we're trying to talk about this week, but it is brought up in this mm -hmm. because the idea of the simulation theory, if it are if it is correct, is really a big implication for a creator. Mm -hmm. It's taking all of the all of the the aspects of of why they think this is a simulated world and attributing it to computers in the future as opposed to attributing it to a god who created it in this way and mm -hmm. told us he created it in this way in the book that he created in this way <laughs> and I, it really becomes a situation where like when I was a kid, they called this argument science versus faith, and it's becoming a faith versus faith argument now. It's not, it's, it's science and the idea that we're practicing the art of science to try and figure it out, but creationists do the exact same thing. And there are mm -hmm. quite a few uh, Christian or otherwise religious scientists that work in this field that believe there is a connection. Now, some of them believe in the... Uh, like the mingling of the two ideas that God created us, but over a span of millions or billions of years. And, you know, there's, there's credence to, to that being a possibility as well. We can't really know. All we can do is try and figure out to the best of our ability. And just like you said, as we're gaining more and more knowledge, they feel like they're going further and further away, but they're actually trying, they're eventually going to circle back to the fact that, yeah, okay, this is created uh -huh. somehow. This had to be, this could not have come into fruition on its own. Right. There's too much perfection. It's kind of the same. They've been kind of doing the same thing with evolution as they do with abortion. For a very long time, the idea of abortion was put out there by saying the notion that it's just a tiny clump of cells. Mm -hmm. And so they simplify everything. We're just organisms. But again, like we talk about the complexity of the human eye, there's so much going on in just this tiny little orb in our brain that had to be 100% perfect to work. How could we have genetically created this if the idea of natural selection and that the survival of the fittest thing is thrown out the window? Mm-hmm. If it's really inherited traits, how would we not just continue to inherit blindness? Hmm. How would this continue to grow into something that eventually works perfectly for every organism on the planet? Right. And so that's the same thing with abortion, of course. It's not just a clump of cells. So much stuff is happening in that tiny little cell that you're not seeing, or those tiny little quote-unquote clump of cells. There's so much going on, so much complexity going on. It's bigger than you could ever imagine, and yet it's just small. But mm -hmm. you're offering, it's, it's the idea of, well, it's so small, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and that's how we see the Earth compared to the universe. We're so small, we're so insignificant, it doesn't matter compared to the size of the universe. When... In reality, these small things mean a big deal to God. And so I don't want to tell you how to believe. I don't want to tell you which of these theories is true and which of these theories is not. <coughs> They're all just theories, and we're never going to have a solid answer uh, as we survive here on this earth. But you'll get a solid answer when you die. 
that's when we get those answers. So um, don't worry about it so much right now, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. We've put so many weird bugs in your ears and given you so many things to freak out about. And then you and say, the end, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's probably going to be okay. <laughs> don't worry, guys. I am massively eye-rolling right now, too. You're not alone. But it's interesting to think about. It it's a lot of really cool stuff to and think about. And it is incredibly head-aching. <laughs> Mo's going to go pop a couple of ibuprofen. Yep. <laughs> That's going to do it for our week of looking at the simulation theory and the many other theories that stray from the norm about our reality. While it's fun, or maybe terrifyingly fun, to think about all this being a lamer version of the Matrix, the truth is likely a lot simpler. But what do you think? When we come back, we're going to share the results of our Twitter poll on the subject. And we'll share some things that we love. Stick around. Hey everyone, I'm Hector Mirai, and this is Faith and Fandom 180 on LTN Radio. So I'm currently at a pastor's conference in Greensboro, North Carolina. Me and some other pastors from my staff are here, along with what feels like 43 million other church leaders, and I'm in this city for three days. So something I like to do when I'm going out into other cities is to actually bring copies of my books and stickers and stuff like that and basically just hide them throughout the city, put it on social media, say, here's where the book is, you can go get it, and it's yours if you find it. I've done it at several cities throughout my state and some other states as well. And I really like doing it. It's just fun. It's a cool chance that if people actually read my books and I'm showing up in their area, it's a cool opportunity to kind of interact with them. But also, sometimes people that I don't even know find them and, you know, it's a cool experience that way. And so one of the pastors that I know was with me last night when I was hiding one and posting it and stuff like that. And he's like, what if somebody that you don't know finds it? How do you know that you're actually doing something worthwhile with this? And the reality is, I have no idea who's going to find these things. Sometimes people find them instantly. Sometimes, you know, I never know if they're found. But that shouldn't stop me from actually trying to put it out there. And, you know, it reminded me of this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. He tells this parable about what it's like to throw out seeds in the different soil that it lands on and the different effects the soil and weeds and stuff have. It's a long parable and there's a long explanation. But in Matthew 13, he really just goes into this. And in the end of the verse 23, Matthew 13, 23, he's summing it up as he's explaining it to the disciples. And he says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And the reality is if we wait around to only sow seed where we're guaranteed to see good fruit come from it, we'll never sow seed because that's not how seed works. Me hiding some books in a city isn't going to like save the world, but it's a seed. Having a conversation that might be awkward is a seed. The reality is God wants us to be faithful to throw seeds and let him do the harvest. Remember to catch Faith and Fandom 180 every Wednesday morning on the Back Row Morning Show only on 
LTN Radio. And if you'd like to learn more about Faith and Fandom, head over to faithandfandom.org where you can learn about our Comic-Con ministry, podcasts, memes, apparel, and book series. You can even read new chapters before they make it to the next book. I'm Hector Mirai, and thank you for spending the last 180 seconds with me. This week in nerd history, broken windows. Microsoft Windows 11, which is actually the 13th or 14th version of Windows, depending on how you define a version, is rolling out worldwide right now to fairly positive reviews. But when Bill Gates announced and showcased Windows 1.0 on November 10th, 1983, there is no way any of us could have predicted the changes the next four decades would bring to the PC. Requiring two floppy disk drives and 192 kilobytes of RAM, Microsoft described the software as a device driver for MS. DOS 2.0. By supporting cooperative multitasking and tiled windows while using well-behaved applications that only use DOS system calls and permitting non-well-behaved applications to run in a full screen, Windows differed from other operating systems that could only do one thing at a time. Microsoft planned to encourage other companies, including competitors, to develop programs for Windows by not requiring a Microsoft user interface in their applications. In an attempt to de-emphasize the multitasking aspect, the company stated that Windows' purpose, unlike that of TopView from IBM, was to turn the computer into a graphics-rich environment while using less memory. While originally promised to release in April of 1984, it wasn't until November of 1985 that Windows 1.01 saw its first retail release. And, well, it bombed. Most critics considered the platform to have future potential, but that Windows 1.0 had not fulfilled expectations. Many reviews criticized its demanding system requirements, especially noting the poor performance experienced while running multiple applications at once. The New York Times compared the performance of Windows on a system with 512 kilobytes of RAM, more than double what was required, to pouring molasses in the Arctic. They also claimed the design was inflexible for keyboard users as Windows encouraged the use of a mouse for navigation, a relatively new concept at the time that many deemed superfluous. If you want to understand how they felt at the time, just think back to what it was like when Windows 8 rolled out and you didn't have a touchscreen. It would be replaced by Windows 2.0 just two years later. Despite the negative reaction, there is no doubt it laid the groundwork for some of the best operating systems throughout the last 36 years and Windows 8, but we try to forget about that one. I'm Radio Matt. See you next time for more Welcome back to the Back Row Morning Show and things are winding down for the day. And we wanted to know, are we living in a simulation? (laughs) So we asked this on Twitter. Are we living in a simulation? We gave you four answers. Almost certainly. Nope. This is real life. How could we know? And what are you talking about? What do you think the number one answer were? What are you talking about? No, that was actually the least. That was 8.5%. There's a lot of people out there that are a lot smarter than me, apparently. 42.6% said, nope, this is real life. 29.8% said, how could we know? 19.1% said, almost certainly. (laughs) I really feel like I'm, I'm more in the how could we know camp. Like... 
<laughs> how could how could we know? How could we know? How would they know? How They're could we know? know? <laughs> They're gonna know. How would they know? Somebody. <laughs> Our buddy DJ J Shane tweeted back to us: If we are in a simulation, I need my connection cable replaced because I'm worn out. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> Please. Oh man. Now before we go, we want to share some things that we love. Uh, do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? It doesn't matter. Either okay. way. I'll start. I may have brought at least the, the original uh, version of this up. Uh, I talked about the pour over, I know, in a uh, former show, but I don't know if it was a thing that I love. But the pour over is a, it started as like an email uh, news update that comes Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, it's it's Christian perspective news, but not so much where it's like spinning everything into a Christian mindset, but more about here's the news based on the facts without all the spin. And then here's like a biblical way to respond and a verse to think on. Uh, it's actually been very convicting many times, especially over politics, because I tend to want to dive into politics and no. bite jugulars. You know what I'm saying? No. Uh, so that in itself is great, but they've also recently started a podcast version of this. And so it's about seven minutes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the pour over podcast. Uh, I, I can usually get through the whole thing on my drive to work. And uh, it's it's very informative and even entertaining. Um, it's just it's a nice thing. It, it makes me happy when I'm done, even if some of the news is bad. By the end of it, I feel uplifted. So I would encourage you to check that out. I'm pretty sure it's on all the podcast places. The pour over podcast like the coffee. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my thing is a Netflix original series that's just recently come out. Made. Squid Game. No. Oh, no. <laughs> made. Like you finally watched Squid Game. Made. No. I haven't heard about this. Is it made like made cleaning or yes. made like I've been made? No, made like made cleaning. Okay. Um, so it is, it follows a single mom who is coming out of a abusive relationship um, and it does a really good, good job of um, what I would say shining the light on understanding how easily when you are in like domestic violence, how easily it is to come out, but then go right back into it mm. to kind of get, um, I don't know. To find find yourself falling back into those same cycles yeah. with that person. The idea of this kind of being the only thing that you know, and therefore the idea of going back to what you know is still more comforting comforting than the idea of stepping out into the unknown. Mm, not so much that, because she doesn't really... Yeah, it sorry. sounded really smart, though, until you said that. <laughs> yeah. She does a really good job. The main character does a really good job of coming out of the situation, making something of out of nothing... Um, it, like every, every episode, it seems like the ball drops and it's just going to be absolutely life ending for her and her, her daughter, but she ends up coming out on top, you know, Okay. but it shines a good light, paints a really good picture of, um, just how, when you are in a situation like that, how the other person will do whatever they have to do 100% to get you back. Uh. But then once you're back, 
Nothing changed. Nothing actually changed. And now you're back and you're like, wait, I can't get out. I, I, it took everything in me to get out that one time. I can't do it again. Mm. Um, so she ends up becoming a maid. That's why that's the name of the, I was wondering where the maid came. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's just, oh, it's just such a good, like grips you, pulls you in binge watching show. I don't think that there's going to be a second season because of the way that it ended. But it also ties in childhood trauma and how we kind of revert back to things that we don't even realize from our childhood that are just normal to us, if you will, as as adults. So anyway, it's just I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's amazing. Okay. okay I binge okay. watched it in two days, <laughs> and that was. Those are the kind of shows that really grip you. Yeah. Yeah. I that mean, was, I still worked. The last one was Ted Lasso for me. I did that in two days. <laughs> and that, like, to, I feel like that's saying a lot. When I could, when right, I was a stay-at-home yeah. mom, I could easily binge watch a show. You know. It's difficult for you now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it definitely it takes an investment for me to be like, okay, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I did it in two days. Chris, it was even one that Chris really got into. So mm -hmm. it's super good. Well, let's end with our verse for the day. Our verse for the day is Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And that is going to do it for the Back Row Morning Show for this week. We hope you enjoyed our discussion, and we look forward to having you join us again soon. We will be taking a few breaks over the next couple months, so shows won't be coming in as fast. Our next new show will be on Thanksgiving Day. It'll be our Thanksgiving special. It will air during the normal morning show times at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Eastern, and again at 6 p.m. Eastern. If you'd like to be a part of this special episode, go follow us on twitch.tv slash LTN on air for when we do our live recording on November 19th. This Twitch special will feature extra content that won't make it to the radio or podcast. Remember that we air our full morning shows first exclusively on LTN Radio, LTNonair.com, every Monday through Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. But if you miss a day or just can't catch the show live, you can find our three full shows and our weekly main podcast by searching The Back Row Morning Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Subscribe, rate five stars, and leave a review. Do it and we'll love you forever. Check out LoveThyNerd.com. We've got amazing articles on all things nerdy, other podcasts and videos, and a lot more. And if you'd like to directly support our mission and become a financial partner with Love Thy Nerd, even specifically with LTN Radio, please visit lovethynerd.com slash partner, and you can choose LTN Radio from the drop-down menu. Love Thy Nerd is a qualifying 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your gift is tax-deductible. And make sure you're following us on all the socials. We're on the book, the twit, the gram, and the talk. Just search for at the back row LTN and connect with us. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And remember, if nobody else tells you, we promise it's true. Jesus Jesus loves loves you, nerd. nerd.